we can all think of examples of teams where people kind of achieved it out of the gate, right, first time, right? It, it, it works, you know, it can work, it, it, sometimes it doesn't. But I think it's, again, back to the point about critical thinking, it's about decisiveness of the founder also, right? So to be able to recognize pretty quickly, you might want to back your original team and you're going to back them, but know when you've got to make that call. Yeah. Be decisive and, and sort of move from the loyalty to the just sheer execution phase. And I yeah. think just noticing those traits in a founder, are they likely to be somebody who can spot that and take action in the team at the right time? Hi, and welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaS Talk. I'm Irina Jampazova, Head of Content Marketing. And on this episode of the show, I take you back to the SaaS Talk 18 stage for a panel discussion on what growth investors look for. Joss White, general partner at Notion Capital, moderates the panel featuring Nicola McCafferty, investment director at Draper Spree, Michael Brown, general partner at Battery Ventures, and Tom Mendoza, venture investor at Equity Ventures. Growth investors like Joss, Nicola, Michael, and Tom look through a different lens for Series B and C rounds as compared to earlier stage venture investors, how they make decisions and what they see as the key drivers of a high-quality growth round tends to be different at this stage where they expect millions in ARR, a solid product market fit and an international outlook. They share views on growth round readiness and what needs to be in place to even start thinking about Series B. At the point that you're raising that sort of scale-up capital, we find a lot of the focus is on sort of the scale, the, the sales organization and, and scaling that. So I think you've used the, the A capital to kind of get, get the product market fit, but to really figure out what customer behavior looks like, how your customers really behave, and matching your sort of sales and distribution model to that. Their own key considerations, including metrics and parameters, in terms of scale and, and momentum, uh, you know, above two and a half times year-over-year growth rates is, you know, roughly what we're always uh, what we're looking for. Um, other metrics that we we focus uh, quite a bit on is on sales uh, and marketing efficiency, the magic ratio, mm-hmm. aiming for that to be above one. And then, you know, obviously churn is a, is, is a great indicator for validating product market fit. How investors test if the money would be spent in the right way. It all comes down to, do the unit economics work, right? Do you have a good sense for the unit economics of the business? And at some point, will those unit economics actually translate into profits, right? So if you feel good about the unit economics of the business, then depending upon the market opportunity, you may want to grow and burn a lot of money to capture that market. Um, But there are some markets where it's not a winner take all. And so you can grow more uh, reasonably and maybe not take as much capital. So I think it's case specific on is it growth at all costs or is it measured growth? Um, but at the end of the day, companies are valued by cash flow, right? Even though in this world it doesn't seem to be, that is fundamental. And so we want to see core economics, a core economic model that is viable. And then depending upon, you know, if that's good, then we'll decide which way to, what rate of growth we want to invest behind. Bringing investors like Joss, Nicola, Michael, and Tom and hundreds more to share their insights, as well as meet excellent SaaS companies at SaaS Talk, is one of our favorite things to do. To make sure you can soak up their actionable advice during conference sessions, as well as sit down for many potential funding chats with a myriad of investors from around the world, 
you really want to bring a co-founder or exec along. If you sign up for our insider sale at sastalk.com forward slash insiders, you'll get an early access to our two-for-one tickets for Sastalk 19 and bring them along for free. You will double the learning, the networking, and the fun. Now on with the show. Hi, everybody. Uh, my, my name is Josh White. I'm a general partner at Notion. Uh, we're a specialist SaaS investor, mainly at Series A, a little bit of Series B. We're based in London. We invest across Europe. I'm a former entrepreneur, a co-founder of an early SaaS business called Message Labs. Um, today, we're going to talk about uh, growth investing. So I think a lot of the content and a lot of the Talks at the event have been about earlier stage seed and Series A kind of rounds. So we want to look a little bit beyond that and think about um, what investors look for in a later stage round. What are the kind of attributes or metrics that investors are looking for as you really start to start to scale your business post Series A? So I firstly like to uh, introduce the panel and have them just give a quick uh, introduction and then we can get into the conversation. So Nicola, do you want to, do you want to start? Sure. Um, we got the lunchtime slot, so thanks for being here. Um, so my name is Nicola. I'm with Draper Esprit. Uh, we are a London based venture capital firm, um, investing, uh, across Europe in, uh, backing the most ambitious, uh, European entrepreneurs. Um, we are a pretty generalist firm in terms of technology, um, but software and SaaS is about 50% of, uh, of what we do. We're um, slightly unusual that we're a, a publicly listed uh, VC, so we don't invest out of a fund. We invest off our own balance sheet, so it's a patient capital model. Um, and we're investing in the region of about 100 million a year, so sort of the equivalent of about a seven, 800 million fund size. Our focus is Series A and Series B. Uh, really, Series B is sort of our sweet spot. Um, but about half of our deals are at A stage and half at B stage. Thank you. Tom? Hi. Uh, yeah, Tom uh, Mendoza. I uh, lead the uh, UK investments for Equity <laughs> Ventures. Uh, we're a multi-stage uh, venture capital firm uh, led by entrepreneur and operators. Our, our core focus is uh, Series A and B stage in Europe and growth rounds in the US. Um, some of the last uh, SaaS deals we've, uh, companies we've invested in is uh, Pecan, Beamery, and, and Tiny Clues, amongst others. Great, thank you. Great. Michael. Hi, Michael Brown, general partner with Battery Ventures. Uh, we're also a multi-stage venture firm. Uh, started in the US, we have offices in Israel, London, East Coast and West Coast of the United States. Um, we are probably two-thirds, 70% software from the application layer uh, down to the um, infrastructure layer. And we do investments from seed stage, traditional AB venture growth, as well as control buyout. So really take a product market space perspective, um, irrespective of your stage of, of development. Great. Thank you. So as I said, we, uh, we want to kind of take the lens beyond Series A, so start to think about you know, a SaaS business beyond Series A, and maybe you've probably got multiple of, of millions of, of revenue. 
you're starting to think about multiple markets, challenges are changing, and starting to think about a larger Series B kind of growth round. Um, so that's really the subject. So, Michael, why don't you start? How do you, how do you look at a business? How do you look at an opportunity post-Series A? And how does that kind of differ from, you know, the, the earlier stage opportunities that you guys look at? Yeah, I mean, I think, as a lot of people have said over the last two days, Series A or earlier, you're really trying to figure out, is there that product market fit? Is there a, a market need? And is there a product you can build to fit that market need? And so that early stage capital is really meant to validate that. For us, the Series B or C beyond that is really around how do you expand the expansion capital, right? Whether that's expanding product investment, but is primarily sales and marketing investment uh, within a core market or across geographies. So for us, you know, if you've got product market fit and you've got a few million of recurring revenue, that expansion, those expansion metrics for us is really do you have a good go-to-market motion understand your go-to-market machinery, and if you put a dollar in, you know you're going to get a you know, dollar or a euro, I should say, uh, a euro X back. Uh, and so that's the kind of stuff we're looking for beyond the kind of you know, normal things of team and whatnot. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I would just add there uh, that when we're looking at uh, teams, is, uh, is, the exec is there an executive team that can scale in place? Uh, and if there is gaps in the team, uh, what is the roadmap to filling in that gap as opposed to in the earlier days when you're focusing more the efforts on, on the founders themselves? But I think the, the overall premise is that there needs to be undeniably a product market fit uh, in order to assess a growth stage company. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nicola. Um, sort of similar to, to what's been said, I think um, at, at the point that you're raising that sort of scale-up capital, we find a lot of the focus is on sort of the, scale, the, the sales organization and, and scaling that. So I think you've used the, the A capital to kind of get, get to the product market fit, but to really figure out what customer behavior looks like, how your customers really behave, and matching your sort of sales and distribution model to that. So, you know, ultimately, one of the factors to, that, that kind of underpins how you'll scale your company is that your sales and distribution model really matches your sort of average revenue per account and, and, and the dynamics you're seeing in customer behavior. So we'll really kind of hone in on that. And, and you know, you want to see an engine that's really starting to work. So we're just kind of putting a bit of fire behind the engine to, to go for that. And I think, and then, you know, the international angle on that too. Okay. I think and just to add on that, just for a second, customer behavior, we have this concept internally about pull demand versus push demand. And um, ideally at that stage, you, you want the market pulling your product, right? Versus you having to be missionary and convincing, even though you got product market fit with customers buying your product, it could be because you're evangelizing and creating a market. It's tougher to do that, it's not impossible, but ultimately you want that dynamic to flip where the market is pulling and wanting your product. And that is a, that's an important dynamic for us in considering how much capital to invest and, and whatnot. I think, I think that's a really good point. I think, uh, you know, before Series A, you can evangelize and you can get early adopters and customers that are engaged and love the product, but, you know, much smaller subset. I think when you're thinking about Series B, you know, you have to have that kind of pull because that's the only way that you can really scale the business effectively. And, and not just pull, but actually customers who are confirming that, you know, this is not just some sort of side experiment or, 
some sort of project that they're, they're trying out, but that, you know, that they have that real love of the product. Like, you know, you are not taking this product anywhere. This has really, really changed my life or saved my life or, I, you know, I couldn't imagine a world without it. So having that really, really strong connection to the product, I think is, is important. So do you guys have, you're probably not hard and fast rules, or if you do, maybe the rules are there to be broken, but do you, do you actually have parameters for a Series B investment in terms of check size, in terms of like the, the revenue, level of revenue and growth uh, valuation stake? Do, do you actually think about it like that? It, it, we don't have hard and fast metrics. I know some investment firms do. If you don't fit within this box, they won't consider it. We're, we're much more about the opportunity and the vision and how big the company can get. And depending upon where they are in terms of revenue scale, we'll figure out the right metrics to, to evaluate. But in general, we want to see kind of run rate of a million dollars per quarter or more uh, as kind of a minimum for, I shouldn't say a minimum, but ideally as a minimum for that next stage of investment. And the larger you are, the more metrics you have, it's a little easier to evaluate and kind of draw the line from here's where we are to where you want to go. Yeah. What about you guys? I think the, the growth rate and momentum is something that we would look at as well. So equally, you know, there are ballparks uh, rather than hard and fast rules. We want to see that there are paying customers. I mean, the, even at Series A, we are looking for sort of paying customers and some degree of sort of market adoption. So you want to see that having played through at scale. And, and typically, if a company is coming at B stage, I mean, they've raised capital at A. I mean, as a B2B software company, you would expect them to have used that capital to be out in the market, growing their customer base, learning from it, refining the metrics, refining the sales model. So, you know, to see those proof points and what they've learned through that phase from the last kind of uh, stage of raising capital, but certainly looking at the growth rates and the momentum um, that they've achieved from the previous raise to, to now um, is an important factor. Okay. I would say, like, <clears throat> I guess it depends from B to C uh, quite a bit, but in terms of scale and, and momentum, uh, you know, above two and a half times year-over-year growth rates is, you know, roughly what we're always, uh, what we're looking for. Um, other metrics that we, we focus uh, quite a bit on is on sales uh, and marketing efficiency, the magic ratio, mm -hmm. aiming for that to be above one. Um, and then, you know, obviously churn is a, is, is a great indicator for validating product market fit. So kind of like on a global basis, those are kind of like the three kind of key areas we, we would like, okay. you know, zoom into. Yeah. So I guess if, uh, I don't know what an average Series B investment is these days, but 10, <laughs> 20, maybe more, uh, 20, say 20 million. Getting bigger every day. <laughs> um, I'm guessing that the the highest uh, percentage of that money will be spent on, on people mm -hmm. and that the key hires are the, the senior, the C-level, the VP level, the people that could potentially be real game changers in the organization. So how do you, how do you try to test that the company will be capable of spending you know, potentially millions of dollars on senior people and to get those hires right and to, you know, and to go through that process, I guess, of upgrading the team um, and, and, and do, it, do it effectively. Do you, do, you, do you have ways of looking at that? I think a lot of it is, you know, we, we all talk about from the various early stage backing, backing a founder. And, and so I think you kind of, 
we would certainly spend time as part of our the process when we're considering an investment, going deep with the CEO or the founder on on the people roadmap, uh, where they feel the gaps are, and, and understanding how they're thinking about that. Because you know, as VCs, so much of what we do is ending up kind of helping on the hiring side. So we want to make sure that we can be helpful in that too, right? You know, we all want to be. Um, adding as much value as we can to our portfolio companies. And I think really sort of building that senior bench and setting the company up for scaling. I mean, the volume of hiring is going to be coming in thick and fast when you're raising kind of 20 million. So getting this, this, that sort of senior bench right and the support system around the founder that's in place uh, to kind of go for scale and um, it is really important. So it's something that we spend time on understanding how the founder is thinking about it, the gaps, and what that bench looks like mm-hmm. as yeah, part I mean, of the next round. Yeah, I mean, ideally you have, if you have a first-time founder, you want members of that senior team who have seen the movie before, mm-hmm. right? You don't want everyone to be first-time in that position. It can work, but it's much better if you've got someone, say your CRO or VP of sales, who has scaled a company from X to Y, beyond where the current scale of the business is today. And I think important for, for founders and CEOs is the willingness to change, right? Because as companies grow, naturally people, you know, reach their maximum point of productivity or usefulness, and you got to make tough decisions to scale to the next level. And so you may have a VP of sales or a marketing person that's gotten you from 5 million to 10 million, but that person may not get you 10 to 50. Mm. And the person that gets you 10 to 50 may not get you 50 to 100. And so you need to be open-minded and honest with your teams about, hey, look, you're going to be great for this, and as long as you're producing, that's fine, but at some point, I may have to replace you. Yeah. And I think that's tough for founders because there's a great deal of loyalty amongst their senior team, but it will at some point impact the growth of the business if you don't make those changes. Yeah. And another point is, I would say that, um, is what are the open processes uh, that the founder has uh, out there? You know, what are, what are the searches that he's undertaking? Yeah. Uh, as opposed to promises uh, for, for change going forward. So that for us is a, is a big testament if before you're approaching the, the, the company for an investment, they have open processes. That's a clear testament of willingness for, for, for change and hiring uh, senior right. members. Right. And do you, do you like to see, like, pre-Series B, do you like to see uh, a senior team where a couple of those big transformational hires have already been made so they can actually demonstrate a capability to do that? Or do you think that that's, it's generally the founders, maybe one or two other people who have helped to kind of scale the business to this point and you're, 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 you know, that's not a specific criteria for you? It's not, for us, it's not a criteria because if they haven't, we can help them do that. Yeah. Um, and so if they've got people on the bench or in their team that have done that and fit the, uh, the skill sets, that's great, right? It's, that we know there's, when we make the investment, it may be an easier path. But if they don't, we will help them build the team. So we're no criteria for us. Right. You guys? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a specific criteria. Again, if you think about where the volume of hiring and team management is going to come in, it's when the business is going from 20, 30 people towards 70 people to 150 people. And that's, you know, that's at the kind of typically around the B stage, and that's bringing in the, the, the people who are going to manage that. So um, it's just it's about the willingness of the founder and how, how they think about putting that support system around them. Yeah, same here. It's not a criteria. If we have conviction on the market opportunity and the founder, we will embark on that journey with him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting... 
I was actually I was talking to a friend of mine who ran Success Factors for a while, and and、uh, he was saying when he came in, he looked at the team, and that Success Factors were growing by 100% a year, I think. So he said, "Well, the company said the company is going to be four times the size in two years," and so and and so he used that as a kind of benchmark. So he'd look across his senior team and think, "Well." Can they manage four times the size of their job, their responsibility, in two years? And I thought that was quite an interesting way to look at it. I mean, do you, when you look at teams, do you do you try to assess the ability to to scale? And if so, like, how do you how do you actually do that? Because it all sounds very well, but how do you how can you know whether someone's actually gonna gonna scale in that way and to to continue to support the growth of the business? Well, I mean. It- At some level, it comes down to just how they think, right? Are they a structured, analytical thinker? Because when you're small, you can do things without being terribly analytical, right? It's just by hook or by crook, you kind of get your way to it. But when you're talking about an organization that's 50 or 100 people and it's going to be 400 people, then you just got to approach it from a much more analytical、um, perspective. And so that analytical, you know, framework, people—if they have that—then they can probably scale. Not. You know the people side is an important aspect, which is hard to test. But if they're not an organized kind of a critical thinker or analytical thinker, they're probably not going to scale out to be a big、mm. uh, executive. So that to us is important. Yeah. Any any other thoughts on that? No. no. I mean, I, I guess the the best test of whether someone can scale is I think you said earlier, Mike, they it, it. They, they've, they've done, done it, it before, right? So I think that it's always nice to see a team where there's a good balance between founders and that founder. Mentality around the ambition and the vision, combined with, you know, more seasoned operators who've actually, you know, this is not their first experience with doing this. That they've actually had experience of that company in two years' time, not just the company as it is as it is today. So I think if they have done something similar before in a large organisation, then maybe that's the best test that they can they can scale. Well, the question we always get from founders is, well. Someone's ha- you have to go through it the first time to have the experience. So、yeah. why can't my team go through it the first time? Or how do I help my team do that if that's the approach they want to take?、Um, and it's a valid question. And in those situations, what we'll try to do is pair them up with a mentor, someone who's done it before,、um, that they can talk to kind of privately and say, "Hey, look, I don't know how to scale my engineering organization. Like, can you help me?" They don't want to go to their CEO because they don't want to. You know, sound like they don't know what they're talking about, and they definitely don't want to talk to the investors because they'll be afraid we'll fire them. And so they'll go to you know, give them a mentor who can meet with them once a quarter and just be there, a sounding board to、yeah. help them think through those critical issues, and and they can grow into the role over time. Yeah, yeah. I, what, I think it's a point about decisiveness. Just sorry to, to to add to that because I think we can all think of examples of teams where people. Kind of achieved it out of the gate, right? First time, right? It, it, it works. You know, it can work. It, it sometimes it doesn't. But I think it's again back to the point about critical thinking. It's about decisiveness of the founder, also, right? So to be able to recognize pretty quickly, you might want to back your original team, and you're going to back them, but know when you've got to make that call. Be decisive and and sort of. Move from the loyalty to the just sheer execution phase, and I、yeah. think just noticing those traits in a founder are they likely to be somebody who can spot that and take action in the team at the right time? And I think I think decisiveness and also that kind of I think you mentioned it earlier, but that self awareness、mm. and the honesty, not just with yourself as a founder, but with your team,、mm. really being you know confront the brutal facts, be honest about 
can I scale, can they scale? Rather than believing what you want to believe, I think you, yeah. you, know, you've got to, you need to have that self-awareness to actually build the right, the right kind of team. And as part of the, our assessment when, when looking at investment opportunities, uh, is we spend a lot of time with the founding, the founding teams and the executive uh, team. And throughout that, we have honest conversations with, with all of them individually to, to understand, uh, you know, what are the limitations and where are the gaps in the team. And, and, and as uh, was mentioned before, is trying to, you know, identify what are the advisors that we need to surround this team to make them successful. And, and, and there you, if you have an honest conversation with the founding team and you can kind of map those gaps, then I think you're in a good place uh, yeah. as opposed to making yeah. the investment and finding out afterwards. Yeah. Okay. And so on the subject of uh, growth versus profitability, do you think with a Series B round and the plan in terms of how they're going to deploy that capital and the plan post-Series B, that it should still be kind of growth at all costs? Or do you think the business is reaching that kind of level of maturity where they're starting to think about that path to profitability? Do you, how, do you, how do you think about that? I mean, for us, we whether it's Series B or Series C, or even, it's not Series A so much, but it all comes down to, do the unit economics work, right? Do you have a good sense for the unit economics of the business? And at some point, will those unit economics actually translate into profits, right? So if you feel good about the unit economics of the business, then depending upon the market opportunity, you may want to grow and burn a lot of money to capture that market. Um, but there are some markets where it's not a winner-take-all, and so you can grow more uh, reasonably and maybe not take as much capital. So I think it's case-specific on is it growth at all costs or is it measured growth? Um, but at the end of the day, companies are valued by cash flow, right? Even though in this world it doesn't seem to be, that is fundamental. And so we want to see core economics, a core economic model that is viable. And then depending upon, you know, if that's good, then we'll decide which way to, what rate of growth we want to invest behind that. Okay. You guys got any further thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I fully agree here. I think that what 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 you need to have is uh, unit economics in place so that if you need to pull the brakes at a certain point in time, you can drive profitability in a business model, especially you know B round uh, and above. And it goes back to having the unit economics in place, but also having undeniably product market fit. Uh, if you're not there, I think you're not ready to scale. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to take some questions on the, uh, on the, on the board here. Uh, so what valuation levels do you see for Series A and Series B companies, and what makes a business a 10x ARR business? So I guess that's getting into sort of valuation ranges or multiple ranges and, you know, how a business can ensure it's kind of at the higher end of, of that range and whether that changes, you know, for, through the, the latest stage rounds. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Nicola? I, I think um, within software and SaaS more specifically, I think one of the dynamics of this industry is actually there's a very re reasonable sized public market comp set. There are public market companies out there. There is a, a, an eas somewhat easily measurable set of comps in the public markets. So that's kind of... If it isn't, it almost should always be the starting point, right? Ultimately, these might be the buyers of the business, and if, it, if they're not the buyers, well, then the public market is the buyer of the business. So, so really understanding how the public markets are looking at these businesses is one thing. Now, that doesn't 
always reflect back into the private markets. But I think it does set an appetite range for companies. Um, and so we would, we would sort of stay pretty closely aligned to what we're seeing in the public markets in terms of multiples of forward ARR. That can be anything from a sort of a 6x to a 13x. And that then comes down to a lot of it's down to the growth rate in, in, in public markets, obviously more mature businesses, you're kind of closer to being able to look at, you know, many people will have heard about the rule of 40, the kind of profitability or, you know, profitability growth trade-off and the decision you make on that. Uh, But I think it, it, there is an established set of companies and comps that should be a good starting point. Now, there are dynamics in the private market. There's a lot of capital. There's competitive natures of deals, which can change things. But I think using that as a, as a starting point helps to maintain a, a degree of sort of discipline around pricing. Yeah. Okay. So do you, do you guys think similarly? Do you think that the public markets are a good proxy for how you, how you value? I do. I mean, we, we've, we've seen kind of 10 to 20 times current ARRs, so like what your current ARR is, not forward. And if you're growing at 100%, that's kind of 10 times forward, which is within the realm of, you know, high growth SaaS public companies. Um, so I would say that's a, a guide or a benchmark outside of just looking at the public companies. Right. Okay. Tom? Yeah, a bit more, more specifically, I would say like in the A rounds, like 15 to 20 times and in the B rounds, 10 to 15 times. And depending on the growth rates, you're in the upper or the lower end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, so I've got one more question. Uh, what are the specific differences you look for in evaluating a truly enterprise SaaS outfit? How do, they, how do you know that they'll work? So I guess selling into the enterprise and having that kind of enterprise strength proposition or... or uh, the uh, the ability to kind of support those types of customers, but is there anything about selling into if, if we actually pick larger enterprises? Is there anything that you would kind of look for in a, in a business in a business like that? Again, I think it comes back to kind of matching your sales and distribution model and your touch points to the type of contract values. So you know, if you are if you are dealing with enterprise level customers. You're talking about longer sales cycles. Ultimately, your, your customer acquisition time is longer. Um, your support levels, your touch points in that sales cycle. So it's an expensive sales process. And so the contract values need to match that. Uh, coming back to making the unit economics work, there are enterprise-level economics and there's SMB-level economics. Yep. So, so long as the stack of economics matches your average revenue that you're getting per customer and, and, and potentially also your ability to expand within that customer, um, I think that's something we would, we would be looking to see. Okay. Well, um, I've got a flashing red screen in front of me, so I think it's time to wrap up. But uh, thank you to my panel. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution show and you've picked up valuable advice from Joss, Nicola, Michael and Tom and are more ready for your Series B round. Don't forget to sign up for the Insider Sale at sastalk.com forward slash insiders to get early access to our two-for-one tickets for double the learning, the networking and the fun at SaaStalk 19, October 14th to 16th in Dublin. Thanks for listening. See you next time.